what I actually want to focus on, let's see if I can, is um, our interest in studying diversity in Africa. And we're particularly interested in uh, studying the genetic and the environmental factors that play a role in both normal variable traits in Africa as well as disease susceptibility. So just looking at these photos of some of the people who have been participants in our studies from different regions in Africa, you can see a lot of diversity. There's a lot of phenotypic variation, there's a lot of cultural diversity, there's a lot of linguistic diversity, and a lot of genetic variation. In fact, we see the highest levels of variation, genetic variation, both within and between populations in Africa compared to other regions of the world. And the reason for that simply reflects our evolutionary history. And as you heard in some of the earlier talks, it's thought that um, anatomically modern humans arose in Africa within the past 200,000 years, and that one or a few small numbers of uh, small populations migrated out of Africa in the last 50 to 100,000 years, giving rise to all other populations around the globe. Now, you also heard that when they left, they ran into Neanderthals and other archaic um, species, and there may have been some small amount of gene flow or admixture, and very likely that may have occurred in Africa as well. So this is from a study we published a few years ago looking at genome-wide variation and trying to infer the number of genetically defined ancestral population clusters in Africa. And those are represented by the different colors. Okay, so if you see all these different colors are representing a lot of genetic variation within the continent of Africa. And in particular, we can trace, since I'm going to talk today about the origins of lactose tolerance, I'm going to talk a little bit about the origin of the pastoralist groups. So, for example, the Nilotic-speaking groups are thought to have originated in southern Sudan, and we can trace migrations into East Africa, into Kenya and Tanzania. And then we have the um, Cushitic-speaking groups from Ethiopia who migrated into Kenya and Tanzania. The uh, Nilotic migration was about 3,000 years ago, and the Cushitic one about 5,000 years ago. So the other thing we're particularly interested in is trying to identify um, targets of natural selection in the human genome. And we're interested in that because these are likely to contain genetic variants that are functionally important for adaptation to diverse environments and during human evolution. And they may also play a role in disease susceptibility. So for example, genetic variants that may have been adaptive 10,000 or 20,000 years ago may not be so adaptive in today's uh, modern environment. And so looking here at just a few of the populations we've studied, we see um, people who have very diverse diets, hunter-gatherers, agriculturalists, pastoralists. They live in different climates, um, desert and tropical, high altitude, low altitude, and so on, and they've likely experienced local adaptation. So what I want to focus on today is a particular adaptation, which is that for um, uh, consumption of milk as adults. And I'm going to be focusing mainly on Africa. So our ability to digest milk as adults is due to the expression of the enzyme lactase fluorazine hydrolase, or lactase for short. It's expressed specifically from these brush border cells in the small intestine. And in individuals who are able to consume milk, they maintain expression of that enzyme. It, break, it breaks down the complex sugar lactose into glucose and galactose, which is then taken up through the bloodstream. 
Now, in most mammals and in most humans, um, this enzyme is shut off very shortly after weaning. So sometime around four years old to about six years old. So in individuals in which it is shut down, they're not able to digest that compound complex sugar lactose. It goes down into the lower gut. It gets attacked by bacteria. You have severe intestinal distress, including diarrhea, which, as you can imagine, would be selected against in an African environment. Now, I think you also heard in one of the talks, anthropologists have known about this for many, many years. This is not new. They have long noted that there's a very strong correlation between the prevalence of lactose tolerance, or you could think of it as the lactase persistence trait because the enzyme persists as an adult, and the practice of dairying or cattle domestication. So we see the highest prevalence in the north of Europe. So in Finland, it's something like, I think, 99% of the population can digest milk. It's less as you go into southern Europe, less in the Middle East, very low in East Asia, very low in Native Americans, and very low in most Africans, except those who practice cattle domestication and dairying, so mainly in East Africa. So people for many, many years, tens of years, have been trying to find the mutations that play a role in this variable trait. And in a beautiful study done in 2002, Lena Peltonen's group used some very clever genetic methods to identify two variants that were associated with the trait in the Finnish population. It turns out this is the critical one. And it happens to be about 14,000 nucleotides away upstream from the lactase gene, which is on chromosome 2. It's actually in a non-coding region of a neighboring gene. And they have actually shown that individuals who have the T are able to maintain the enzyme activity. So this is a case where you have a functional variant that's not in a gene. It could be tens of thousands of base pairs away. It could even be in a neighboring gene. But when we sequenced this in East Africans who drink milk, they didn't have it. So we wanted to figure out what variants do they have. And to do that, we've been doing field work in Africa for a number of years together with students and postdocs and collaborators, mainly working with remote populations. And from these, we want to obtain DNA. So we uh, usually obtain that from getting blood samples. And we typically have no electricity, so we have to come up with clever ways to process the samples, including hooking up the centrifuge to the car battery. But in cases where we can get access to a generator, we can do a lot better, have a better centrifuge. And basically, we're trying to get these white cell pellets, and that's where your DNA is. And then we can actually process it in the field. All right, so that's how we're getting the DNA. But in order to do the lactose, um, to do this test to determine lactose tolerance, it's something called a lactose tolerance test. And what we're basically doing is giving um, the sugar lactose in a powdered form. It's like an orange Kool-Aid type of mix. Mix it with water. And then we have to, it's a time test. So this is actually the challenging part. It's getting everybody to line up. And everybody drinks this at one time. And we take a baseline glucose um, measurement from the blood. And then we're basically, oh, this, the last group was the Maasai. This is a group from um, southern Ethiopia who are pastoralists. And then we're going to just use a diabetes monitoring kit that many of you are probably familiar with. So we can just get a finger prick of blood and then measure glucose levels in the blood. And we do that every 20 minutes over an hour. 
And then we can look at the maximum rise in glucose, and if it's greater than 1.7 millimolar, then they're categorized as lactose tolerant or having the lactase persistence trait. If it's less than 1.1, then they're intolerant. And then we have some people who are intermediate. And this is what it looked like in about 500 individuals from Sudan, Ethiopia, and Tanzania. And if we just look at the distribution of this trait, um, light blue indicates the, the frequency of the lactase persistence trait. And it's greatest in the Beja population from the Sudan. They are pretty hardcore pastoralists. They drink several liters of actually camel's milk more so than, uh, than cow's milk uh, per day. But we see that the trait is very prevalent throughout East Africa, which has a tradition of cattle domestication and dairying. When we sequenced this region where the European variant had been found, we found three novel variants, the most common of which is at position 1410. It's about 100 nucleotides away from the European one. Individuals who have a C are able to digest milk as adults. Um, that's mainly present in Kenya and Tanzania. We found two others at 13907 and 13915. Individuals with a G in either of these, which is the derived variant, the newer variant, are able to digest milk as adults. And we also looked at some genetic markers in the region so we could reconstruct the evolutionary history. Together with Greg Ray um, at Duke University, uh, Greg actually did something that's called a luciferase expression assay to actually look at what is the functional significance of these variants. And he was able to show that there is a significant increase in gene expression from vectors that are driven that have this, uh, the derived variants associated with lactose tolerance as opposed to the ancestral variants. So we were able to demonstrate a functional difference. On the right, I've already shown you this figure on the left, and on the right are the different genetic variants. The different colors represent the different mutations and whether you have two copies or one copy. But the main thing to point out is that in Tanzania, for example, there's a very good correlation generally between the genetic variation we see and the phenotypic variation, the ability to drink milk. But there's a couple of exceptions that you might see. So one is in southern Sudan. Um, they don't have as strong a prevalence of lactase persistence, but a lot of the intermediate level, but they don't have any of these variants. And also a real mystery to me was the Hadza, who are traditional hunter-gatherers in Tanzania. According to this, almost 50% could digest milk. They didn't have any of these variants. So one thing this implies is that there probably are other genetic variants out there that we just haven't found yet. Now, in regards to the Hadza, that's, I really don't know what's going on with that. I thought, well, maybe there's a mistake, because we only looked at about 18. So my students just came back from the field. They measured this in about 100 and more people. We're still finding it. Frequency is a little bit lower. We're finding it at about 30%, but it's clear. <laughs> so we don't know why. One thing that I've hypothesized is that lactase fluorazine hydrolase plays a role in breaking down other carbohydrates. Florizin, which is present in the root and bark of certain plants of the rosacea family. So maybe it's playing a role in some other aspect of diet. Or maybe they had cattle in the past and we don't know it. <laughs> but I think that's unlikely. We have more work to do to find out. Now what about what sort of genetic signature of selection did it leave? So let's imagine that this red dot represents um, a new mutation that um, results in increased expression of lactase. And it occurs on a chromosome that has these flanking variants shown in yellow and green. 
if it increases the fitness of the individual who has this mutation so that they have more children and their children have more children and so on, it's going to rapidly increase in frequency in the population, and it's going to drag with it these neighboring variants. So if you have someone who has two copies of this mutation, they're going to have two copies of the yellow and two copies of the green. And we call this extended haplotype homozygosity. And it's what you see when there is a selective sweep. But over time, recombination and mutation is going to shuffle that up. So what do we see? We see a whopping signature of selection at this uh, locus. In red are individuals who have two copies of the C variant that's associated with lactose tolerance in the East Africans. And when we look at markers along the chromosome going out three million nucleotides, we can see that they're identical for up to two million nucleotides or more. And if we look at chromosomes that have the ancestral allele, they don't extend at all, typically about 1,800 nucleotides. Very similar pattern is observed for the European variant as well. So that means it rapidly rose to high frequency due to selection. If we look at the relatedness or the evolution of the chromosomal regions that have these different mutations, this is just a network showing how they're related. So chromosome sections that have the European mutation are in blue and the common East African one are in red and the other two are shown here. The point is that they arose independently. So you have a case of different mutations in different geographic regions are arising due to a strong common selective force, and we call this convergent evolution. More recently, um, a postdoc in my lab, Alessia Ranciaro, has sequenced well over 1,000 individuals from many regions of the world for this um, candidate region that has the lactose tolerance mutations. I've kind of switched the color scheme here. I apologize for that. But here's that 1410 variant shown in kind of this teal color. And it's very common in uh, Tanzania and Kenya predominantly. We see the other two variants more often in the Middle East or in Northeast Africa. And here's the European variant right here. Interestingly, that's in some of the Western pastoralist groups like the Fulani and the Mozabite. Now, where did that come from? We have no idea, but I would guess probably through the Iberian Peninsula. It's very interesting to find out where that may have come from. Another interesting thing is that here in South Africa, even amongst the San hunter-gatherers, we see a low frequency of the East African variant, suggesting that pastoralism was introduced into that region from East Africa. If we look at sort of, this is like a heat plot showing you the darker the intensity, the higher the frequency of the variant. So that 1410 variant is most common in East Africa, and I think that's where it arose. The 13915 is most common in the Middle East, and that's where it likely arose. And 13907 in Northeast Africa. Now, these are great markers for also tracing migration events, because we can actually trace the migration from these different regions. We can also, together with members from Jonathan Pritchard's group, we inferred the age of these variants. And the 1410 variant ranged in age from about 3,000 to 7,000 years. The oldest age estimates are in the Cushitic speakers and the Nilotic speakers. We can't say for sure which one it arose in. I would guess Cushitic only because we don't see it in southern Sudan, which is where this population originated from. Wherever it came from, it rapidly spread between the populations. There had to be interbreeding. Together with selection, caused it to rise to high frequency in both. Together, and the timing of this happens to correspond with the introduction of cattle domestication. So it's a great example of gene culture coevolution. Indeed, 
For the European variant, we inferred the age of that to be about 9,000 years old. And it's thought that um, cattle domestication originated in North Africa or the Middle East somewhere between about eight to 10,000 years ago. It was introduced across the Sahel into Western Africa somewhere in the past 6,000 years, but it was not introduced south of the Sahara until about 5,500 years ago, corresponding beautifully with our date estimates for the East African variants. And it was not introduced into Southern Africa due to this Tetsi uh, uh, belt. It's called a barrier, these tetsi flies that attack cattle and cause illness in humans. It wasn't introduced until the past 2,000 years. Now, this is just some examples of some of the archaeological evidence for pastoralism. There are these beautiful cave paintings. Here's one that's from um, uh, northern Africa, dated to 4,000 to 2,000 BC. We have another one from southern Africa. And one of the questions arises then, where did the pastoralism in southern Africa originate? Well, the Bantu-speaking people are thought to have brought it there in the last 2,000 years. They're thought to have originated from the Great Lakes region, but they originally their homeland was in western Africa. But they must have either adopted the cultural practice of cattle domestication or admixed with people. And interestingly, my student Jabril Herbo has looked at a Y-chromosome genetic marker, which is inherited through the male lineage. And this is one that was actually studied by Brenna Hen a number of years ago. And it's a great marker for this migration of pastoralists from East Africa. And when he looked at a number of groups, he found it at highest prevalence in southern Cushitic-speaking groups. And we think this may have been a likely source of the origin of the migration of pastoralists into that region. I'm often asked the question, are humans still evolving? I think the answer is yes. And I just want to thank the many, many collaborators, funding agencies, and particularly the uh, people who contributed to this project in Africa. Thank you.